We're going to turn together to the book of Acts, and we're going to read from chapter 10. Acts and chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and we're going to commence to read at the verse 1. Acts chapter 10, and commence to read at the verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band, called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms or money to the poor and prayed to God alway. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, of the day an angel of God coming in to him and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now let me point out that this man was not yet converted. And yet his prayers and his alms were coming up before the Lord. Uh, I have always taken the view until recent years that the only prayer God hears from a sinner is God be merciful to me, the sinner. But this particular passage indicates this man was evidently seeking God and was praying to God, and his prayers were being heard. So the spirit world is much more complex than what we make it out to be. It's much more complex. And the word of God says, when he looked on him, he was afraid. And then we come to verse 5. Now sent men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. The soldier was a God-fearing man as well. And when he had declared all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And so heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. There came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, for those of us who don't have a knowledge of the Old Testament, this wouldn't make much sense. But, of course, for Peter, being a Jew... There were dietary laws, and there were certain animals couldn't be eaten. There was a variety of reasons, the main reason being for their safety. There were no people as healthy. There were no people as clean. There were no people had as good health as the Jews, simply because God told them what to do and what not to do. Even regarding 
what they ate. And so we read then the voice, uh, Peter says, not so, Lord, and then verse 15, and the voice spake unto him a second time, what God hath cleansed, call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again to heaven. Now, the fact that it happened three times again for Peter would have been clear that it was a very direct message. First of all, it was a complete message, three in one, as in God. But also, it was a very uh, compelling message and a completed message uh, to him. Three often speaks of completion and compulsion uh, in the Old Testament. And so, when we come to uh, the uh, sheet being lifted, it says in verse 17, Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had just seen uh, would mean. Behold, the men which were from Cornelius' house made inquiry for Simon's house, stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So Peter is spoken to, first of all, by this trance or dream or vision. And then secondly, when he has recovered from that, the Spirit of God speaks directly to his spirit and tells him exactly what he's to do. He's to go with these men that are at the door. Now, there are many lovely, fine Christians who don't believe that God still speaks like this, and I happen not to be one of them. I believe God can still speak through visions, through dreams, and certainly by his Spirit to our spirit. The primary mode of God's communication is always the Word of God. And if any vision, dream, trance, anything contradicts the Word of God, then it always has to be rejected and repudiated. But God still speaks, and God still speaks by his Spirit. In verse 10, Arise therefore and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and hath good report among the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and they had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. It's interesting when you study the teachings of the Roman Catholic religion that uh, Peter was apparently the first pope. And uh, today he's recognized, of course, being carried about or maybe being mobiled about. And uh, people kiss his hands and kiss his feet. And he's elevated and he accepts all this various forms of, of uh, adoration. But look what happened to Peter whenever Cornelius met him. And he said, it says that he fell at Peter's feet and worshipped him. And Peter took him up and said, stand up. 
I myself also am a man. I'm no different to you. Peter was certainly no pope. And as he talked with him and went in and found many that were come together, he came unto them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into the uh, home or come into the, uh, into one another, unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He's catching on what God has previously spoke to him. It's all beginning to fall into place. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in the house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms and are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call thither Simon whose surname is Peter, he is lodged in the house of one Simon the Tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent unto thee, and thou hast done well that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear the things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Amen. And we know God will bless this lengthy reading of his precious word. Let's unite in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious and living word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. And I come before you in Jesus' name. And afresh, Lord, I lay my life upon your altar. I give myself 100% into your hand. I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse me and sanctify me. 
I pray, Lord, for the help and aid of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that your presence would come amongst us and that we would sense and know that you're here to speak. Lord, open eyes, speak to hearts, minister to needs. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm sure, like me, any other Christian in our country that desires to follow the Lord and truly loves the Lord cannot but be grieved and hurt by all that's happening in our nation in recent days and in recent years. As we watch the heritage that this land has had in relation to the gospel and the truth of God being systematically and slowly undermined and destroyed. The Bible says, if the foundations be removed, what shall the righteous do? And if ever there was a day when the foundations were being removed in our nation, it is today. Who all are culpable in this departure? Well, as in the nation of Israel, it was generally the political leaders, those who led the people in politics, and then those who were the religious leaders were the two main culprits. And today, it is no different. I listened recently to a clip that was sent to me on the phone. I did very well to be able to open it and listen to it. But on that clip was a rector from up in County Antrim, I think it was, Castle Rock. And the rector was praying, God knows who to, but he was praying. And he was asking God to forgive all the bigots and all the people in the land that were bigoted against homosexuality and that didn't accept our brothers and sisters in the faith. And I never heard one cheap come out of the congregation to say, what kind of a creature have we let into this pulpit? How can we pay for a man to pray, to pray supposedly to God and to proclaim that which is directly contrary to the word of God? But dear friends, you don't only find that in apostate clergy and apostate churches. But in our politics, we have the head of the Ulster Unionist Party. I'm not really interested in politics, but, but the spiritual welfare of the nation does concern me. And he was being interviewed one day, and he said he had fought in Iraq and whatever, and that's commendable if he was in the army. But he said, you know, I fell into a drain or a ditch and I met God. And he said then when he was interviewed, he said, but I have no problem with gay marriage. Recently he was asked if he met a man and the man said he was a woman. Would he agree? He said, no problem. He would need a biology book. You see, dear friends, you have political leaders you have religious leaders, 
You've not only that man who said he met God, but then you've also the leader of the Alliance Party who says, I'm born again. I'm saved. The worst problem ever to have in the church is fifth columnists. The early church never had people like that. The early church knew right from wrong. They were all Jews that came to Christ. They knew the law. They knew the scriptures. You didn't have that problem. But now you have Tom, Dick and Harry proclaiming, I'm born again, but I have no problem murdering children. I have no problem with that, but I'm still born again. My dear friends, this is a travesty and there are wicked people in high places. Now one could go on and on and on. But I've given you a little flavor of where our country is and where our leaders are. Even those who profess to be saved and saved from God knows what. You say, well, Alan, what are you preaching on this morning? Well, from I was a young Christian... God had dealings with my heart. And the one thing above all other things that God established in my heart was a longing for revival. For a movement of the Holy Spirit in power as in days gone by that the nation and the people would be moved back toward God and righteousness. You see, friends... Don't be depending on any politicians. Don't depend on any denomination, any church, any group, no matter how fervently evangelical they are, that they're going to turn the tide because they're not. They're not. It's like the hymn writer when he said, Thou must save and thou alone. It has come to a place where only God himself can save, where only God can turn a young people, a young people coming up completely confused, filled in the media with lies and deception. It is only the truth of God coming to their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit that can change our nation. We need a new thing. We really do need a new thing. And what we're reading today is when a new thing actually happened. And it was so significant, this event that we've read, that not one of us today would be in the kingdom of God if this event hadn't happened. This was the gospel coming to the non-Jews, which is you and I, unless you have Jewish blood in you. This was when God let the gospel break out into the nations of the world. But what I want you to grasp is not only that we today need a new thing, but we need to recognize that for the introduction of that new thing, the gospel coming to the Gentiles, 
this newly formed church in the dynamic of the Holy Ghost, with its deep Jewish roots, roots and traditions, this Jewish church had to radically change. You see, when you read of Peter, you discover a man who loved the Lord. You discover a man who was very much outspoken. He spoke before he thought. You discover a man who had tremendous encounters with the Lord. The Mount of Transfiguration. Gethsemane. Calvary. The Resurrection. The Ascension. All the messages that he received after Jesus' resurrection on the kingdom. I mean, this man was just full, full of truth. On the day of Pentecost, he's full of the Holy Spirit. One would think that a man such as this, who is sensitive to the Spirit of God, which is evident from the story, that such a man with such experience of God in the Spirit, that he wouldn't require much change for God to use him. But he did. He did. You see, friends, this man had seen miracles. Souls come to the Lord in their thousands, full of the Holy Ghost. And God and heaven and the angels looked down and they said, this man's got a problem. <laughs> Seems strange, doesn't it? Heaven's looking down and they've got a problem. And the problem is with the new church. I want to suggest to you that it's very probable that as heaven looks down today on the church in our land and even this local church, that heaven has a problem. You see, God had directed this man at a particular moment in his life. He's resting and he gets hungry and he falls into a trance. Now, a trance has been described as a state of mind where the attention is absorbed in a chain of thought so that the external senses are partially or entirely suspended. In other words, we would say his mind was totally absorbed and taken up with God in heaven. He's taken into another dimension, a heavenly dimension. He's meeting God. God's speaking to him. And of course, it's wonderful to know that God can speak to us. This is a wonderful divine intervention into his life, and God still does this. It involved not only a visitation of his spirit in the trance, but also information was being conveyed in the form of a cloth or a sheet huge coming out of heaven down with all these animals on it, and the message, rise and eat, and he said, no, I can't. And of course, the Lord is drawing out in this man that there's a problem. It's good to be in a place where you're open to God to let God show you if there's a problem. 
It seems so prevalent today in our land that so many say, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved, but I do whatever I want. I do whatever I like. I was hearing recently about two or three cases of men that were married. At least two or three of them were were married to Christians. They were all Christians married, and uh, the husbands decided that for whatever reason, they were going to separate from their wives, and they separated, and that can happen. But their wives were never unfaithful to them. But they've taken up and got married. One's a pastor. <laughs> Another one's an assistant pastor. And yet Jesus said, if you do that, you commit adultery. That's what he said. And all the Christians are sending in their texts. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. You see, my dear friends, it's no longer the Lord's prayer in the church, uh, thy will be done. It's, it's my will be done. It's whatever's convenient to me will just set aside what God has to say on that issue. But we need to open our hearts to God. And when you open your heart to God and you begin to get honest with God, God will speak to you. God will use you. This man had a real problem. You see, my dear friends, God wanted to spread the gospel further. He wanted to get the gospel to the Gentiles. And do you know what he did in chapter 4 of Acts? God permitted persecution to these God-fearing Jews that had come to the church, formed the church, and were living and loving the Lord. And God said, I give you a commission, but you're sitting comfortably now, and you're not fulfilling the commission. And it's possible that there are people here today and God has a commission for you. That was the reason he saved you. But you have not fulfilled. You're comfortable. You are comfortable today. It's not, it's not, you don't want to, to shake up anything. Income settled. The children are well. Everything's going the way you wanted. And it's all okay. But spiritually, there's nothing really happening. There's no awareness down deep that I'm doing the will of God. And so God permitted a persecution to occur. And it sent them out, but then when God got them out and started moving them out toward the Gentiles, this is the problem that he encountered with Peter. What was wrong with Peter? Well, it's very simple. Peter was prejudiced. He was prejudiced. A prejudice is an opinion that is formed before. It is something that you pick up and you settle it inside and it can come from many sources. But one has said prejudices apply to an opinion or a judgment that is usually unfavorable, formed beforehand with little or no basis except personal feelings. 
All our minds are narrower than we think. And blind spots and obsessions abound in them like bees in clover. (laughs) We all have prejudices, every one of us. And those prejudices hold us back. Those prejudices prevent us from often doing what God wants us to do. Now, the prejudice that was present at this point was a Jewish president prejudice against Gentiles. The Gentiles were dogs. That was the view of the Jews. Just like Jonah, when he wanted them all to die, rather than God have mercy on them. So in like manner, being brought up, Peter, in that Jewish setting, he had prejudices against the Gentiles. But he was a spirit-filled man, and he had encountered God in wonderful ways. Now, my dear friends, the majority of the people of Ireland are Roman Catholic. The vast majority of the people of Ireland are Roman Catholic. I have no doubt, and anybody that wished to be honest would have to accept that the gospel has been greatly inhibited from spreading to our Roman Catholic neighbors By prejudice. By prejudice. Where God has had a huge church in the northeast of Ireland. And yet in the Midlands and the south of Ireland, there is virtually no trace of the gospel. There's a problem. There is a problem. It has to be confronted. If our fellow men and women are to come into the kingdom of God, there will have to be changes. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I have prayed for 30 years now for revival. I simply follow the where many others have been, those who have gone on to be with the Lord, who died in faith believing it would come, and died like those in Hebrews 11, with confidence that God would keep his word. If I today didn't have a faith and belief that God would move on the island of Ireland, I would have no desire to continue on in the present evangelical church. None whatever. You see, my dear friends, we desperately need a new thing. We desperately need what happened with Peter. When those Gentiles met and the Holy Ghost fell upon them. I have to confess something, I've probably said it before, but in recent years, as is my habit, I ask the Lord, Lord, show me if there's things about me that you don't like. I never ask Christians so much that because they're only too quick to tell me. But I ask the Lord, is there anything about me you don't like? And the Lord sometimes does speak to me and 
shows me things I never thought of. But in recent years, I would never have really regarded myself in any way been sectarian. I really wouldn't. But you see, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. But then the different thing was, it didn't matter what I thought. I was asking God, what did he think? What did he think? And God happened to show me that there was a whole lot of areas there that weren't good at all and didn't please him. Didn't please him. And so I began to repent. And I began to acknowledge, Lord, that I haven't been right. And my attitudes at times weren't right. And various things that God showed me, and I prayed into them. But I want to tell you something that happened after that. That I had various meetings and missions, and in each case, it was Roman Catholics that came to the Lord. I find that very interesting. I have no doubt in my heart that that was a barrier. And I want with all my heart, whether my fellow countrymen love me or loathe me for it, I long in my heart to be so right with God that I would be used not to contribute to the problems in this island, but to be part of a solution that comes from God and heaven to our Roman Catholic neighbors. So that they can be released from the darkness of dead Catholicism. Just as Protestants like our friend up in Castle Rock, that clergyman, that he might turn to God and have mercy. You say, dear friends, what was the outcome of this issue in Peter's heart? Well, first of all, it prevented his movement. He couldn't move. He couldn't move. And he couldn't cross over those personal boundaries that had been set up. As Matthew Henry said, he was stingy and bigoted and had a bad notion about the Gentiles. (laughs) Stingy and bigoted. Hmm. You see, my dear friends, it's very possible that Peter could have missed the Gentile Pentecost. Only heaven intervened, it would have been missed. There would have been no Cornelius, no chapter 11, no chapter 10, no chapter 15 in in, in the book of Acts. They wouldn't have been there. They're all about the conversion of the Gentiles. But without the trance and the Holy Ghost speaking into the heart of Peter and saying, Peter, you've got to reach to these people. You've got to love these people. You've got to go. And I'm telling you, because the angels are ready, I'm ready, and I'm waiting, and they're waiting, and they're seeking, and they're praying, and they're calling, and you need to bring the message. My dear friends, I love our province. I love, I love my country. And there are many things about my country that I don't like. But one of the things that I love most about my country is the amazing heritage of having so many people 
that truly love the Lord Jesus Christ in our country. That to me in our land is the greatest thing. Now I know there's many don't live right and I know there's many behave badly. But to have that in our country is such a blessing. But God said, Peter, you've got the message. And Peter, you need to tell. You need to tell. Not only did it prevent his movement, but it prevented the blessing itself. You see, they hadn't got to the place where the love of God in them and among the Jews could somehow get over to the Gentiles. It it couldn't reach over. And so the love of God hadn't, as it were, got them gripped enough. Not only that, they had forgotten. They had forgotten the promises of God. What was it Jesus said to them before he leave? He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But they forgot that. They forgot that. You see, they were in their little place in Jerusalem and that region round about, and they were enjoying the fellowship. They were enjoying the meetings in their home. They were enjoying sharing with one another. And it must have been wonderful in many respects. But God had an agenda. Heaven had an agenda. The angels were waiting. The Gentiles were praying. But the church wasn't moving. This prejudice was not only preventing blessing, but my friends, it was maintained with zeal. (laughs) And that's the most ironic thing. These Jews were so zealous. If you read in chapter 11, you discover when Peter comes back to tell the church in Jerusalem and the other Christians, he tells them, listen, God has come to the Gentiles. They go bonkers. The Christians, they go mad. What? You went into a Gentile home and preached the gospel? What? We can't do that. They were so zealous in the wrong thing. Zeal is great, but it needs to be to the right place. If you're in a train, there's no point in putting the steam to the whistle. You need to put the steam to the piston. It was maintained with seal. Well, what what caused this? What produced this problem very quickly? First of all, it was simply pride. They had come to a place where they were a proud nation. We're the Jews. We have the word of God. We're not like the dogs. We have the truth. Does that ring a bell? Does that ring a bell? You know, friends, it's very sad when you go into some evangelical churches and some more than others. And sometimes from the pulpit and sometimes even in the pew, you can smell the pride. You can smell it. Pride of their grace. Pride of their knowledge of truth. And we are the people. We are the people. 
And we pray for our denomination and our wee group. And we're like a toenail off the body of Christ and we're set in the corner and we are the body of Christ. And, and we have nothing to do with all the people of God. We just pray for our own wee toenail. We're just that little part of the body, but we have no part with the body. And they all eulogize one another in their pride. Well, that was the problem, pride. Jonah had it. Others had it as well. Ignorance. Just simple ignorance. Didn't understand, didn't know, didn't comprehend. God's ways are not our ways. There's so many today that say, I don't believe God can speak to us by the Spirit. I don't believe God could communicate to us like that, my dear friends. I think it's time maybe that did happen. It would maybe help us to get on the right track. It would maybe help us to start doing the thing that God wanted us to do. It would maybe help us to repent. Ignorance. Well, they were imitating the traditions that had gone before and they followed everyone else. And of course, that's what happens. They simply were listening to what was being said in the home and what mom and dad were saying. And so they picked it up and imbibed it because mom and dad don't tell lies and they just absorb it and take it in. And there it is. You've got it. Even though it's wrong. Even though heaven and the angels say it's wrong. But no, we hold to it. That's it. That mommy and daddy taught me that. And they had so many reasons and ways to justify what they believed. That they would have nothing to do with the dogs. You see, my dear friends, whenever a tradition follows that bigotry and follows that prejudice then it feeds into sectarianism. It feeds into the young converts. And before you know it, the things that are wrong, instead of being declared as being wrong and something to be repented of, they end up being celebrated. That's what happens. Imitation. We pick up from her parents. I don't believe in most cases that parents willfully teach their children anything wrong. I don't believe that. But parents are just fallen creatures like everyone else. The best thing you can do for your family and your children is you seek to walk right with God. Even though your parents didn't get it right, you under God get it right. And then start passing it right on to your children the best way you can. You see, friends, there was also fear. They were afraid. Many fears. <laughs> you see, you have to remember that the early church was entirely 100% Jewish. And while there were people had concerns about just simply going to the Gentiles, there were others who had a real problem, and this was the problem. 
What if a whole lot of Gentiles get saved? What if the Gentiles start to dominate the church? What if our Jewish heritage begins to decline? That's exactly what happened. The Gentiles took over. The Gentiles carried the gospel. And the Jews, with all their prejudices, they were left behind. And and even today, while there are more Jews getting converted today than ever before, yet it's clear that the vast majority of the church and the body of Christ is Gentile. Wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have in the nation or the nations of Ireland? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a lovely problem that the Holy Ghost would come in power on every county in Ireland and that tens and tens and tens of thousands of Roman Catholics or non-religious people would come to a saving knowledge of Christ and they would begin to declare the gospel. They would begin to raise up churches where the truth was taught and they would become the leaders of the gospel. That'd be a wonderful thing. I think it'd be a wonderful thing, but I know some people wouldn't think it was that wonderful. (laughs) In conclusion, how did God solve this problem for Peter? And how did this new thing happen? How did it happen? God had a plan. And when you read what we have read together this morning, you can see that God intervened perfectly in the timing with Peter and with Cornelius. There was a mass of angelic and divine activity going on with the Gentiles and going on with Peter. God had to get them together so that Peter could tell them what they needed to hear. Divine intervention. It's amazing how divine intervention will deal with your prejudices. When I was brought up as a Christian, and for years afterwards, I'm not going into this subject, but I'm giving you an illustration. I simply believed that when a person became a Christian, that the Holy Spirit entered them, and there certainly was nothing of any demonic presence could be with them. That wasn't possible. And I was very settled in that view. But then I had a mission, a few events happened in between, but I had a mission in Balamina. And when that mission came to an end, there was a lady that made a profession of faith in Christ. And uh, she had uh, different problems and she needed prayer. And so I went up with a gentleman. I didn't know what we were going to do or we're going to pray with this lady. And when we prayed, this lady spoke with an evil spirit. A demonic spirit spoke out of her. And uh, I had never witnessed anything like it. It absolutely shocked me and rocked me to my foundation. Then after years, I evidently began to see more of that occurring. And I can tell you why, but I'm not going into that now. But, but I saw that happening. And so God supernaturally intervened into my life to deal with a prejudice that was in me. I was wrong. I was convinced I was right. I was using all the scriptures I could, but I was wrong. 
The point is that, my dear friends, by divine intervention into your life, God can deal with prejudices. He can deal with them. Not only was there a divine intervention, but there was an inquiring mind. You see, very often God is speaking to people and they ignore him. I've learned that over the years. Very often in dreams, God speaks to people. But they miss it. They miss it. Very often God brings a recurring thought back and back. But people miss it. They just push it out of their mind again. They don't see it as being anything significant unless it's a text from the Bible. But very often what God does is God brings up things in us that are unresolved, issues in our life that are not settled yet, that are maybe not healed. He brings them up in order for us to often pray into them so that the healing can come. But many people don't understand that. They don't have an inquiring mind. But Peter did. Peter said, what does this mean? What is God saying to me? It's not, it's not clear to Peter, but he's, he's holding on to it. And one thing you must do as a Christian if you want to grow is that when God brings an issue into your life that needs dealt with, you need to stay on that issue until it is dealt with and not ignore it and run on. If you run on and ignore that issue, God will, you can do all you like, God will want to bring you back to say, listen, I needed to deal with that issue in your life. That is a hindrance. That is preventing you from growth. That is preventing you being what I want you to be. When God saves us, we're not made perfect. When God saves us, there still can be a lot of healing needed in us. When God saves us, there's an awful lot of prejudices that have to be broken. When God saves us, my dear friends, we're a bit of a mess. And so we have to put ourselves, as it were, on the potter's wheel and say, God, here I am, I'm on the wheel, you start making me. You start making me. Not only was there an inquiring mind... But there was a willingness to be retaught. He was willing to be retaught. He was willing to let views that he had go so that he could do what God was saying to him to do. Discernment. Discernment. He realized in that trance and in the Spirit speaking to him that God had something to say. You know, one of the great tragedies today in the church, and there's many reasons for it, but I, I see it all the time, but one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is that we have never perhaps had as many Christians that know a lot about God but don't have an intimate walk with God. I don't know how many people I've talked to over the years and people came to my home where I went to theirs and sat with them. And in conversation, they shared their life and shared their story and their problems and their family and whatever it might be. 
And 99% of the time, they're saved people. They have a desire to follow the Lord. And when you get to the nitty gritty beyond all that's happening in their life, you say, well, is God real to you? Say, no. No, God's not real to me. I just do what I'm told from the pulpit. I make sure I get my wee Dahan book out in the morning and I read my wee prayers and I say my prayers and I'm kind of glad to get them over and then I get into business and I'm into what I want to do. But being silent before God and God speaking to you by his Holy Spirit into your spirit and where you commune with him and where you can worship him and you can love him and where he can awe you by the concept of who he is, where you're simply in silence because you're coming before the great creator. And here you are in fellowship with him through the death of his son. And you simply enjoy, enjoy God. As I say, the vast majority, Alan, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. That to me is the greatest tragedy in the church today. Because it is such people who have intimacy with God are the ones who are going to move in this area. The others will find it very hard. They won't won't move. Some people here today and you'll not move. You won't move. You're perhaps even putting up already (laughs) arguments in your mind. But heaven's still watching. The angels are still waiting. This man in chapter 11 and verse 17, when the Jews raised issue and said, this is terrible what you have done. He told them about this man, Cornelius. Told them about about whenever Cornelius is is in the house and and Peter gets up and he he begins to preach. And he begins to tell them about the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And, and, and he's flabbergasted. Peter's flabbergasted. The six men who are Jewish Christians are flabbergasted. The Holy Ghost falls. The Holy Ghost falls. Isn't it wonderful that the Holy Ghost fell and Peter didn't really anticipate it happening? You know, sometimes God can come and nobody's really expecting it. God can break in among a people and it's not anticipated. You see, this was God's time for the Gentiles. And it really didn't matter if Peter was fully spiritually in tune with everything or these six other Christians. He needed to tell the message. And the Holy Ghost was ready to work. In closing, you know what I like about Cornelius? The angel came to him and told him what was going to happen. This man's praying and he's giving a lot to the Jews. He's a general, centurion, I think. And, and whenever, he's, whenever he's there and God meets him and says, I'm, I'm going to send Peter and you sent me and get Peter back and he'll tell you what you need to hear. And do you know what he does? He sits up in his armchair in front of the fire and he says to the boys, you just go and get Peter there and he just waits and he just sits there in the living room enjoying himself. 
And then Peter comes in and there Cornelius is sitting. No, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Cornelius gets all the family. (laughs) All the children. All his children. All his friends. All his relatives. He gets them all. Come on. Something's going to happen here. (laughs) Peter doesn't see it happening. Peter doesn't see it. The six Christians don't see it from from Jerusalem. But boy, Cornelius sees it. He says, listen, get to this house at three o'clock. This man's coming. He's going to preach. I know somehow God's going to come through to us. God's going to do something. Cornelius couldn't wait to see Peter. Couldn't wait. And the children are sitting, and I want to tell you, my dear friends, God's interested in families, not just individuals, families. Noah and the ark, God saved the family. Whenever Rahab was caught at the wall, God brought in the family. My dear friends, he's into families. Don't let the devil get your children. Mother and father, pray for your children. Mother and father, fast for your children. Mother and father, plead with God every day for your children. God wants you to have your children. I can't take one thing with me to heaven. I can't take one solitary thing. But I can take my children. Get them all in. (laughs) And whenever Peter is being asked by these men about what happened, He said, the Holy Ghost showed me what I needed to do. I went and did it. And this is what he said. What was I? (laughs) Who was I that I could resist the Holy Ghost? What was I that I could stand in the way? Who was I to use prejudice to stop God working? Who was I? Thank God he was humble. Thank God he humbled himself. My dear friends, in closing this morning, we need a new thing. And as I've said before, and I'll reiterate it again, I pray I would fairly say every day, most days, for revival in Ireland. And thank God I'm not the only one. There's people all across this island, in many counties, Roman Catholics, in in little groups, and they're in homes, and they're praying, and they're pleading with God. And I have no doubt there are many Roman Catholics or people even who are just lost completely as to anything about God at all. And in the south of Ireland, they're praying to God. You just need the message. You just need the message. Duncan Campbell, the great servant of God of the Lewis Revival, said in the early 1960s, before I was even born, in the early 1960s, he was in Lisburn, having meetings in the old friends' meeting house where I and Bertie and a few others worked, worked for a number of years. During meetings in that building, he stayed in a home in Antrim Street by a man, in a man's home called Joe Care. And there God met with Duncan Campbell in that home. 
And Joe Kerr testified to my wife of what happened. How that while he was downstairs, he said the presence of God invaded my home. As Duncan Campbell was upstairs praying. He said the presence of God so invaded the room downstairs where I was. He said the ticking of the clock changed. He said I was brought into another dimension that was heavenly. And I didn't know how it had even happened. I found myself unable to ascertain what I was really in and what was going on. But I knew God was there. And he said, after a short time, Duncan Campbell came down. And he said, Joe, did you feel the presence of God? Joe said, I did, Duncan. I did. Well, he said, God is after giving me a vision. And the vision is that revival is coming to Ireland. Revival is coming to Ireland. Riots first, then revival. That old man, Joe Kerr, came to see my wife when she was a pilgrim before we were married. And he came to see her and another young girl who was pilgrim, faith mission pilgrim. And he came to see them in his old age and he said to them, Girls, I've come to see you because God spoke to me today, told me to come and speak to you. And he said, what God told me was to tell you what happened the day that Duncan Campbell came to my home And God came to my living room. And he shared with them in detail what happened that day. And then he said to them, God has shown me that I will not see this revival. But you will. But you will. Oh, my dear friends, I have many reasons to be hopeful, prayerful, and faithful in relation to revival. It's the only answer to our country. It's the only solution to the church. A great, mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost when the people of God begin to seek God with all their hearts, where the pews are filled with men and women weeping over their sin and calling on God for mercy, and where sinners are smitten with conviction in public houses and in any other house, and where they turn to Christ and they are new creatures in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. And if I didn't believe that that was going to happen, as I say, truly like Paul, I would rather be with Christ, which is very far better. But I believe it's coming. I believe it's coming. And I encourage you, some of you have been praying, and others have prayed for a time and gave up. You know... I often think of Ezra, especially when you had the great seasons of prayer a year or two ago here. I think of Ezra whenever he, they prayed, Lord, give us a little reviving. <laughs> There's people pray for revival and they get all into it for about two months, six months, a year, and then they're flagged. And then they're just back into the dead prayer meeting and they just sit. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it, but to do it. But all oh, for that burden from the Holy Ghost. All for that longing in the soul that the soul can't settle, that the spirit can't rest, that it can't sit in an environment of death, that it can't settle for deadness in the church and the prayer meeting and the pulpit and apostasy and everything going on. It, the soul can't settle. And inside it's craving, crying, pleading, begging that God would visit the land again. 
Those of you who are praying, I encourage you this morning, keep praying. Even your numbers go down, keep praying. Keep open to God, keep seeking. Don't give up, it's the only route. It's the only route. And mother and father, you need to do the same. We all need to do the same to see our land and the two nations on it touched by God and brought to awakening. Let's bow in prayer and then Stephen will come and close. Our Father, we commit to you your word today. We ask that you will speak to all our hearts, Lord. We long, Father, for this island to be visited with the power of God the Holy Ghost. We long to see multitudes of its citizens praising God, worshiping, praying, and preaching. And our Heavenly Father, we pray today that ship vessels, shape men and women and prepare them. Break their prejudices, Lord, so that they can be used by the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.